I'm Nicole Matthews, corporate America dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator, and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics, and by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ask Podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue-generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ass Podcast. You are listening to the Big Ass Podcast, episode number eight. I'm your host, Nicole Matthews. I'm so excited to introduce you to my friend, Kristen Casado, Associate Director of Communications for the Alzheimer's Association of San Diego and Imperial County. What I love about Kristen is her passion for very personal reasons for finding a cure for Alzheimer and dementia-related diseases. For those of you who've been in San Diego for a while, you'll recognize Kristen's name from her days as a news reporter and anchor with KUSI San Diego. In her new role, away from the news industry, she is focused on communicating the amazing work the Alzheimer Associations does both locally and beyond, with the goal of one day having a cure to a disease that affects way too many people. So thank you so much for joining us today, Kristen. I'm so happy to see you. It's great to see you. Thanks I for having know, me. Oh, this is wonderful. I feel like I should wear my purple. I was remiss I in not wearing my purple. I have a scarf you can throw to on. To the Alzheimer's like. Association, that's right. So um, for those of um, our listeners who don't know a little about your background. Can you just give us our 30 minutes or thir- 30 minutes? Yeah. A three hour presentation <laughs> on who Kristen is. Just your quick sort of background on um, how you found yourself here at Alzheimer's and what your trajectory has been. Oh, very interesting. I believe truly that I found myself when my mother started losing herself. Mm. So my mother was diagnosed in 2009 uh, at the age of 61, the tender age of 61 with a type of dementia called Lewy body dementia. Um, and we can talk about that later yeah. as far as the different types, but Dementia is the overall umbrella term. Alzheimer's is the most common type. And Lewy body is the kind that my mom had. And um, I was here working on TV. Mm-hmm. And the decision was made at the time the diagnosis was made that I was going to go back. Okay. And live with her and assist her through this. Be with her. Hold her hand. Yeah. Because we were best friends. Yeah. So we did. We were together for the four and a half years that it really was racking her. And uh, she passed away the age of 65. Mm. And in that process, I learned so much about dementia, about caregiving, about patience, about skills you don't even know that you have, and put it all together and ended up actually working for the Alzheimer's Association in Connecticut for a couple of years. Okay. And then after mom passed away, I love San Diego and <laughs> the ocean called me back. Right. I came back here and not too long later ended up here at the association. Wonderful. So talk a little bit about um, uh, the diagnosis that your mom has and how that might be different than what, what people understand to be dementia. Sure. So what made hers particularly unique or different? So right now there isn't a way to specifically uh, 
determine exactly what type you have except for symptomatic things. So in my mother's case, some of the things that she had uh, included some early hallucinations. Mm -hmm. Like at one point she thought that my brother and I were in the same room Mm -hmm. and neither of us were in the state. She's like, I thought we were watching TV together. I was like, wow, what's what's going on with that? You know, Um, also some, a lot of gait issues, a lot of balance issues, a lot of falls. And uh, some bit of shaking, Parkinsonian tremors tend to be one of the things that mm-hmm. kind of lump, lumped into a Lewy body diagnosis. And it's got some of the, th- a lot of some of the things that the, that al- you hear of typical Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. although there is no typical Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. but some of those 10 signs, like a lot of the memory issues and the wandering and the getting lost mm-hmm. and, you know, forgetting a lot, losing a lot of your short-term memory. Sure. So that's how Lewy body's a little bit different. And what normally um, ends their life that I'm assuming that, that that's not the disease that ultimately yeah, takes them. So is there a secondary disease you that ultimately she dies from? Your brain stops functioning oh, because it's wow. shrinking oh and the gosh. neurons are dying and they are not able to communicate. So if, if your brain controls your whole body and eventually you stop remembering how to swallow mm. and you stop, obviously you can't fend off things. So pneumonia is a lot of ways that people pass away. Um, my mother stopped swallowing. So mm. she stopped eating and drinking. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they aspirate. It goes down the wrong hole. Right. You know, it's like, do I breathe this or do I swallow this? Well, there's no comprehension of that and no ability of the brain to tell. Mm -hmm. So in fact, um, she just stopped eating. Okay. And and it was, it was time to go. She, I think she was like 68 pounds when she passed away. Oh my God. To be a giant downer, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. Goodness. What did you learn as a caregiver in that experience? Do you have an hour to? <laughs> yes, we have plenty. So of many things. The one of the biggest things I think I learned, and that I like to share with people, is that you do not have to do this alone. Mm. People think, oh, oh my God, this hit me. This hit my family like a truck. Yeah, I'm gonna silo, burrow in, and do what I got to do. Gosh, there are so many people who've done this before you, mm-hmm. who are going through it now, but who are maybe at a different stage, who mm-hmm. have a different outlook, that sharing tips is just so incredibly crucial. So joining a support group or even going on to any website, you know, ALD.org, that's the Alzheimer's Association, but any website or joining any support group, there are vir- virtual ones if you mm-hmm. can't get out of the house, mm-hmm. um, just finding other people to connect with, calling, we have an 800 number, it's 800-272-3900, it's a 24-hour helpline, you can call with any question. My mother's at the front door and it's three in the morning and she wants to go home and well, she lives here. So how the heck do I get her out of this mood? What do I do now? And just reaching out for help is just the biggest, biggest thing because so many people have done it already and just have really good tips for you. You Oh, that worked for your mom? Oh, wow, I should try that for her. Oh, this this is something. But another really, really big one I think is is realizing that you have to go into their reality. Mm -hmm. The no arguing. Okay. You know, when I teach classes, I say, who here thinks it's a great idea to argue with somebody with dementia? And I say, if you raise your hand, oh my gosh, we need to sit down and talk. Yeah. You know, you, you have to realize, accept, it's not even realization, it's accepting that they have one place where their reality is and you're in another. And mm-hmm. they no longer have the capability because of the disease to be cognizant of, oh my goodness, you're right, it is Tuesday. Let me come to your reality where it's Tuesday. Because over here in my reality, it's Friday. Right. In 19 and whatever. In, sure, yeah, it could be in exactly. 1960 something. And right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here because I can't get out. So you need to come where, where I am. Yeah. So joining them where they are. And that's really hard because what do we do? We always correct each other. Oh no, you spelled that wrong. You said mm-hmm. that wrong. Mm-hmm. It's No, it's not Tuesday. 
Mm-hmm. But it's a whole mindset change you have to go through as a caregiver to actually go with them. Right. And say, okay, mom, you're right, it is Friday, but um, we're gonna do a Tuesday activity. Yeah. Whatever works, Yeah. you know? Right. I think in the spirit of the podcast being called The Big Ask, it sounds like making a big ask as a caregiver, right? And even just little asks along the way is really how you survive as well, you know, because taking care of yourself is equally as important as taking care of your mom in that situation. And you know that people do not take care of themselves. There are a lot of cases where caregivers will implode, get sick, sometimes pass away before the person they're taking care of. Because what do you do? You worry about that person's doctor's appointments and that person's medications. And you don't sleep because you're up all night worrying about them getting up or wandering or falling or if they're in a facility, how they're being treated Mm -hmm. or gosh, this happened today. Um, You don't go to the doctor. You don't take a breath and step away from the 24 hour dementia cycle. Right. So yes, also taking care of yourself as a caregiver is incredibly important. Yeah, definitely. Let's back up for a minute though and talk about um, your early days. So (laughs) um, post-college, I assume you went into journalism and news and... I was actually in college college, and I got a great internship. Okay. Somewhere between between my junior and senior year. Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit. So how did that come to be? Did you, did you seek that out? Did somebody bring that to you? Um, Did you make a big ask? Like, how did you... Oh, it was actually a big ask. Okay, good. Let's talk about that. We're very thematic here. I love (laughs) it. Yes, see? When I was um, younger, I wanted to be a lawyer because I I argued a lot and mom's like, you really should go into law because wow. Killing these arguments here. Um, And instead, I ended up just writing a lot and doing a lot of speaking, and English and communications ended up being my focus. So I went to college, and it's funny, but I broke my ankle junior year. I'm not going to say that I was in a bar dancing, but I might have been in a bar dancing. (laughs) Knowing you like I do, I'm going to probably believe that. um, I broke my ankle, and so I had to come home to rehab. And I came home and coming home, I was like, I really need to get on this internship. And it was early in the semester. And I met with this guy with Cable 6 TV in Middletown, New York. And it's so funny. I hobbled into my crutches and I was like, I'd love to meet you and talk about an internship this summer. And he's like, where are you going to school? And I said, Geneseo State University, which is up by Rochester in New York. And he said, I went to Geneseo State University. Oh, amazing. And I'm like, I'm in. Yes. Perfect. Yes. And so it was an ask early on okay, to get this internship. And I got it. And we had a great summer. And I learned a ton and I went back in the fall and did a little more interning or and then they called me and said hey when are you graduating I said you know June and they said okay full-time June amazing so wow my first job yeah slamming it right out of college exactly very Very cool so talk about what it's like to be a young news reporter you know how do they teach you how to do great interviewing and how to tell a great story you know right storytelling is probably crucial in your in your line of work. So All of it, how do yeah. you, how do you learn that? Um, I think that into the internship, you, as, as an intern, which everyone should do, you know, yeah. you should absolutely watch, just go in completely wide eyed to every event that you go to and yeah. shadow every part of the newsroom. So, you know, right. What is the shooter? What is the photographer to? What is he or she looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a, it's what they call an MMJ. So it's a one person 
team. So okay. the one she she or he will shoot the video and ask the questions. You know, it's kind of a one man band. Okay. Um, but pay attention to that person. Also pay attention to if it's a separate reporter. What are they asking for? What are they looking? What are the nuances? Are they grabbing something in a story that seems like, well, this is really exciting. I may lead with this. I may start with this because this is, hey, this is happening here. Listen to this story. Let me tell you this and then kind of go on with the rest of it. Um, watch and see what people, people ask questions at a press conference. Mm-hmm. See what people respond to. Yeah. So it's just really, really being open to everything. Um, plus, I you know went through the journalism classes in right. college, et cetera. But I learned the most in that internship where I could just pick up everything. And then my first job. So it's different today, but back in the day, you know, um, first jobs were, you know, right out of school and you had the giant deck, which you inserted the tape. There was an umbilical cord to the giant camera, which weighed about 40 pounds, which you put on your shoulder. There was a tripod. There was a light belt that you hooked around your waist and the light could, you know, that was the battery pack. Uh, There was a stand for a different light. So you're all carrying all that cruising around, doing your stuff, coming back, editing it, putting it together, slapping on makeup and going on TV. Yeah. So it was just this amazing whirlwind of just learning everything. Mm -hmm. And it was a great experience. Yeah. And I spent five years there, probably a couple years too long, my first job. Okay. I was in Lubbock, Texas for a couple years. Mm -hmm. Then I got this great jump to Connecticut. So I was in Connecticut for nine years. And then I moved to San Diego, back to Connecticut, back to San Diego. Yeah, right. It's a pretty, um, pretty rare that anyone in the news industry would start and stop a career in the same city. I assume, right? There's a lot of movement that generally happens. Yeah, yeah. Except in the real small towns. Yeah. And then um, eventually you became an anchor. Yeah. Right. So what's that process, or is that? Is that really every place? Yeah. yeah. Is that really like what everybody aspires to be as the anchor? Do you really, do you miss kind of being in the field? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I always like to split. I always like to, almost every job I had, I had part-time on the desk and part-time out. Or if I was a full-time anchor, I was doing the morning show for a couple of years in Connecticut, the Monday through Friday morning show. And then I'd always want to go, go out occasionally because you kind of feel like you lose touch. Yeah. You're talking into a teleprompter. Right. You're not communicating as much. Of course, that was before when, you know, Facebook and everything, social media, where you really are talking to your people um, who are watching you and interacting. But then it was more, you know, I really wanted to get out there. So a lot of the jobs were split. So I'd go weekend anchor, Mm -hmm. weekday reporter or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. What about um, what the media is going through right now Mm. with our current administration and fake news and reporters not being allowed in to watch or ask questions. I mean, it's just such a crazy time that we're it, living it in, right? It is a crazy right? time. Yeah, gosh. When, when, once you start not letting reporters mm-hmm. in to what you're doing, if you're kind of a public official, or yeah. then you are controlling what's going out there. And that's not with this state... Yeah. What it was supposed to be, right? You know, this is this is truth telling. This is um, reporting on what's happening. You know, this mm-hmm. is supposed to be doing it without bias, and it's just it's it's not it's not cool. I'm glad I'm actually, frankly, out right yeah, now. Right. It's a hard time yeah. to be a reporter right now, and I I send all my colleagues good mojo and right. juju and positiveness and strength because it's not a good time. There's a lot of mistrust. Yeah on all parts. Right. And it's hard to do that. It's hard to exist in that situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. When, when nine times out of 10, the intention of the person is 
probably, you know, very positive and they want to tell the truth and they want it informative. And, and when they're being sort of handicapped in terms of being able to do that, that becomes the story. The story is, and that's a great distraction by whomever's, whomever's, you know, handling the puppets. This is a great distraction. Oh, she can't come in. Okay. Well now that's the story that she can't come in. But what was it that she was covering that she wasn't allowed? Let's try to delve into that. But then I don't know if you're going to get the truth because you're not allowing somebody in who wanted to tell the truth. Right. So it's a danger, a bit of a dangerous time. Yeah. Let's talk about um, being a woman in news for a little bit. Um, Any double standards, anything that you... Gee, what do you think? (laughs) And is that still, still existing today? I mean, you hear stories of kind of, you know, back in our day when we were growing up, you know, there were... um, different expectations for the female reporters or anchors than perhaps the male. Um, Is that still existing today, do you think, in the industry? I think there are very few female 60-plus anchors on TV Mm -hmm. and a lot of 60-plus male anchors on TV. Interesting. And I think that, you know, that's just, gosh, that's the way we unfortunately are in society. We're very pretty-based and very attractive-based. And um, guys can pull off the gray hair better, yeah. you know, than females. Gosh, if there was a female news anchor who with gray hair, I would have to investigate that, but it'd be yeah, awesome to find right. out who she is, you know. Um, it's, it's, it's hard in that regard, I think. Yeah. But I think we're making inroads. We've got you know, places are, are starting to put dual female anchors mm-hmm. on desks, which mm-hmm. is great. Or uh, females who are doing that one man band. So yeah. wait, you have a, a f- she's shooting for you or, or females who are, who are your, your videographers, right. your photographers. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, it's not just a, a man's world or a boy's club. Mm-hmm. You know, they're girls who are super talented and have super great eyes and super great editing skills. Right. Um, also a lot more females in sports. Mm-hmm. Typically male dominated. So I like that too. Yeah, yeah definitely. So and I think you touched on social media earlier, but just now any now every day someone could be their own reporter, mm. you know, and, and how is that changing sort of traditional news in and of itself? You know, that I could be a reporter on the street at any point because I have, you know, I can do Facebook Live and then all of a sudden I'm telling the story. So does social media, even though it helps to connect you with your audience on sort of more personal level, Level, is there sort of a sense of it becoming a bit of competition from traditional news, do you think? Multiple ways I think I could answer that. But in part, um, gosh, Facebook living someone getting shot and killed. Yeah. I mean, ouch. Right. You know, that's that's probably not necessary. There, there are reasons why we in the field uh, perhaps accidentally got that video because we were rolling on a SWAT situation or whatever and didn't show it to you. Yeah. There are reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's all no holds barred. It's yeah. all out there. Right. And I think that it's it's responsible journalism to not throw all these images in everyone's face. And so that Facebook live stuff and social media is a little bit dangerous, but also realize where you're getting, where are you getting your stuff from? You know, Mm -hmm. is it from a qualified or um, vetted journalist who's been doing it for years? Or is it coming from someone who, yeah, picked up a camera and said, I'm going to start my own me TV. Right. Right. So just be careful where you're getting your information mm-hmm. from, because then, as you know, rumors can yeah. s- just spread 
right. really, really quickly. Definitely. So let's talk a little bit about your transition out of news. Mm-hmm. Um, I know for you, it was probably a little more natural just because you had such, such a passion project and mm-hmm. um, this space became really important to you personally. But for um, other women, particularly in the news industry, what is that transition like now back into sort of off-camera life and what roles do most of them move into? Communications directors, that sort of thing. I yeah. think so. I yeah. think PR, PR. you know, mm-hmm. um, spokespeople for different kinds of organizations or, mm-hmm. you know, if they're really good at the social media, some sort of social media director, although those jobs usually get to millennials, yes. you know, who maybe aren't quite, you know, they're kind of moving their way up versus right. being satisfied in your career yep. or at a, at a good place. Um, I think that... There are a lot of opportunities, you know, you got to make your own, you got to ask, right? right. And then you have to, there's a lot of places where you can actually go in somewhere and kind of create something or or say, I have these skills that may not be what you think you need, but Mm -hmm. here's what I can do for you. So Mm -hmm. for example, when I left television initially, I went to SBP, which is Sanford Burnham Previs, Mm -hmm. and it's a research facility. You think, my gosh, science was not my forte. So what the (laughs) heck am I doing in this, in this job? They needed someone in communications. And they're really into a brand management kind of image, um, getting getting out there, getting known. So we worked really closely together to do that, to try to get folks knowledgeable about who we were. Um, we had a 40th anniversary and we made a big 40 out of people and mm-hmm. we had a drone taking that video and, and we end up not realizing that I had the skills. I had old skills, but I ended up shooting little iMovies on my iPhone, literally setting that up and doing an interview mm-hmm. with a researcher and then making it lay friendly because mm. they speak way over a lot of our heads. Sure. You know, they're in the lab and they have the brilliant people over there mm-hmm. and across in our Torrey Pines Mesa, we yeah. have so many brilliant scientists. And so what I would do is I'd try to break it down to a level where folks would understand, just like I would do if I was interviewing mm-hmm. a scientist back on TV mm-hmm. and doing a story about what? Alzheimer's. Can you just tell me in this in this term, what does it mean? Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you break it down and shoot it, put the video together, shoot some video of them in the lab and put a story out there. So that's something that they didn't know that would help them potentially. And and getting that out there. And we had a couple packages that I did on my iPhone that ran on the UT. The UT would run my package, the Union Tribune, in addition to their story, or would run on other websites. And so kind of going in to a, to a job which kind of seems rigid mm-hmm. and realizing that you have all these other skills mm-hmm. that you could add and maybe morph that job. You have to have a really good boss and an open boss, you know? Yeah. And try to make it what you succeed at, but also, you know, it's a challenge. I'd never done an Excel spreadsheet. Why would I need to do an Excel spreadsheet? And I'm going to cover a fire on Lakeside. I wouldn't really need that. So that was, uh, you know, it's, it's always an education process. Education, Never yeah. too old to learn. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So let's talk about the work that you're doing um, now at the Alzheimer's Association. To, um, give a little background on the organization of itself and particularly about the San Diego chapter. Sure. So we are the San Diego 
your imperial chapter mm-hmm. of the Alzheimer's Association, and we are the local chapter of the national organization. There are about 80 chapters across the country. And what's great about this is I think that it's the outreach is amazing and it's getting more and more. And it's a really good time if there's a good time to be involved in this right now because of the fact that there's so much. Gosh, we just had this AAIC, Alzheimer's Association International Conference, where all these researchers came from across the globe to share all these things. Mm-hmm. And what I love about things like that is you've got 5,000 researchers mm-hmm. and they're collaborating for the first time. They're seeing someone they emailed with and now they can actually do more together. The data that's ha- that's coming up in Germany can translate to something that's happening at UCSD. And mm-hmm. so that's this really amazing, fantastic collaboration. Um, so, you know, money raised at the for the Alzheimer's Association in part goes to research, mm-hmm. in part goes to care and education. And now is a really good time to have people get involved and learn because we've got some crazy stats coming out. Yeah. We've got right now, as of this year, every 65 seconds in this country, someone develops Alzheimer's. My gosh. I mean, and how long have we been talking? Yeah. How many people? Right. And all those families, like we were talking before, have just been hit by a semi-truck yeah. and they don't know what to do. So what's amazing is that they can come to us. They can call the 800 number that I talked mm-hmm. about, but they can also come to that office and meet with someone, a care consultant, who can say, okay, I hear what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. Here's a bunch of services. Here, let me help you map out what this means. What does this disease mean for my family, for my financial future, for my emotional future? Mm-hmm. Where do I go? What do I do? Here's a bunch of things that we can give you. And when you're ready for these different things, we're here for you. We're here to support you in all the different ways. Right. We do, so research, education classes, we're out in the community all over doing classes about what are the 10 signs? When do I take my memory issues to a doctor? Do I ignore my memory issues? What, what is, what's normal aging versus serious memory concerns? Um, and then for more advanced, how do I deal with that behavior where my mother's accusing me of stealing her purse and stealing all her money and all I'm doing is caring for her? How do I deal with these odd dementia-related behaviors? So classes for that. Mm. Plus healthy living. How do we live healthier and potentially try to stave off this cognitive decline? What can I do today that may reduce my risk yeah. in the future? So we do all those classes all across. Um, and if you guys want cl- us to come teach a class, let us know. Please yeah. give us a ring. So we also do the care consultations. Advocacy. Very interesting that we have a public policy manager here. And... We have advocates who go not only to Sacramento, but also to DC to meet with lawmakers to effect change. And the advocate is usually a caregiver or a person with someone who's been affected by this to tell their story. When lawmakers who have no connection to, fortunately, in their family, you know, mm-hmm. yet maybe is the, is the, is the correct term, uh, to this disease, hear about how it devastates a family. That's when they'll remember when they're voting for a bill that increases um, respite care or uh, something that may increase the amount of hours a care professional needs to have mm-hmm. in order to work in a facility, say. So different different things. So we have an advocacy program really trying to push lawmakers because those they're the ones who make change. And also pushing for all this additional research funding from the government. Our research fund- funding, I believe, has quadrupled in the last mm. several years. Wow. And that's good. That's important. Yeah. We were getting... 
we were we were getting as as a you know a disease Alzheimer's less than heart disease HIV cancer when in fact you can be a heart attack survivor you can live with HIV now mm-hmm. and you can be a cancer survivor you you can't survive Alzheimer's mm. it's a fatal disease and so now we're seeing the tide turning of more research funding to go out to all these different researchers to try to find a new treatment mm-hmm. or a new cure and then of course we have our walks our walks are our big fundraiser and they're coming up yes let's and talk about that yeah September 22nd and 23rd we have two one in Escondido on the 22nd at Kit Carson Park and then one in San Diego Mission Bay Crown Point that's on the 23rd and our walks are beautiful beautiful times you can even come and not walk I say how long is it people say okay it's not a it's not a marathon okay <laughs> you don't even actually have to take a step but just being there amongst everyone mm-hmm. who gets it mm-hmm. those thousands of people every one of them has a connection to this disease and they all understand what you're going through what you went through and it's just beautiful to see everyone we have these flowers these promise garden flowers that people hold up that are all different colors and the yellow is if you're a caregiver the blue is if you have the disease the purple is if you lost someone and the orange is if you support this disease and everyone has a flower and we all hold them up and we walk with them around crown point and it's just so beautiful, beautiful. and so amazing yeah. and there's really um, you raise a hundred dollars and you get a t-shirt to walk but I know we we want people to be there we want people to raise money because the money goes to research and mm-hmm. care and education but we also just love the event for the fact that everyone comes together yeah and connects that's important I um, as you know I do a lot of work with the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of yeah. San Diego and um, I'm always saddened when I hear somebody's been diagnosed and they and they don't know the organization and and more importantly they don't know what um, services provide so to your point of you know as soon as you get that diagnosis within the family please reach out. There are some amazing organizations in San Diego fill in the disease, right? Right. XYZ disease, but there's probably an organization and there are people who are ready and willing and excited to help you to navigate what that is. So, so if it's leukemia or blood cancer, or if it's Alzheimer's, Mm -hmm. you know, I would just encourage everyone to just do your research, pick up the phone, Google, where can I find the support? Because even more importantly, I think that support from the caregiver side more than the medical team is going to take care of the patient, right. the person with the diagnosis, but who's going to take care of you and, and navigating the rest of it. So and teach you. It's, and it's teach a huge you. education mm-hmm. process. You learn something every single day. Yeah. You learn that the P word is the most important thing, the patients. Mm-hmm. You have to have patience. It can take someone, get this, 20 seconds. If I say, what's your name? It can take 20 seconds for it to go into their brain, go through all the plaques and tangles, whatever's happening. Mm-hmm. Comprehend, you create an answer and come out your mouth blue because you have a blue shirt on. Mm. So it's not going to be, it's a processing disease, so it's mm-hmm. not going to come out the way you think. And you have to have patience for mm-hmm. that answer. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you a quick story about yeah, my mom? absolutely. And this was before she even got diagnosed. And this is something, I, I like to share a lot of things that happen with my mom's stories and tips that I've learned and gleaned from colleagues, et cetera, along the way, because I feel like if I could do anything to make the caregiver journey a little bit easier mm-hmm. for someone else, then I've done my job. Mm-hmm. And that's my goal. Mm-hmm. 
So mom was visiting. She was visiting probably five months before she actually got the official diagnosis. And how she maneuvered two planes to get from the East Coast to the West Coast, I have no idea, but I'm thankful and yeah. glad that she did. But I do recall, like all these things you remember now, mm-hmm. right? I do recall, you know, it's hot in San Diego, even in January. And she had a wool coat on, all buttoned up, standing, waiting for me outside the airport. So that's even a thing, not yeah. dressing appropriate for the weather, you okay. know, not realizing that to relieve potentially some of this sweating that I'm doing, I could take off my coat. Yeah. So we were walking along uh, the boardwalk mm-hmm. in Mission Beach. So, you know, that there's a boardwalk and then there's a bit of a wall mm-hmm. and then it's the, the sand. Mm-hmm. So I said, Mom, do you want to stay on the boardwalk or do you want to go on, get, get our toes in the sand? No answer. Mom, did you want to stay on the boardwalk or you want to hop off of the wall, take off our shoes and go in the sand? No answer. Mom, she never didn't pay attention. We were, mm-hmm. were very close. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm thinking. Oh, wow. And every time I, I said something to her, I restarted her thought process, mm-hmm. which is way longer now because she's got this dimension in her head. She's got these plaques and these tangles, which yeah. are terms, but they mean that it's harder for the neurons to connect. And she said, I'm thinking. And I didn't know then what to do because I didn't really know what it meant, of course. I sat down on the wall and then she sat down on the wall. She mimicked me. So she saw what was safe, which was sitting down on the wall. She didn't know the right answer because I kept restarting her. Mm-hmm. And this is such a powerful story yeah. that I like to share to show you have to have patience. You can't keep hammering them over and over again with the same question. And gosh, just what the realization of what was going on in her brain. Yeah. Amazing. Is it a hereditary disease? Does it tend to run in families? So there are some genetic links, but it's really, really tiny. This called familial gene. About 5% of those diagnosed have a familial gene. And 60 Minutes did a giant story at CBS. uh, Big stories about this. um, I think it was a family in Colombia who it's just in there. So Mm. that one out of the two kids all the way down are going to have it. And it's real young. It's hitting Mm -hmm. like 50. And, you know, it was pretty powerful that some of the children decided not to have children because they didn't want to pass on the genetics. But that's a very small portion. There's another, there's a gene called APOE4, which I learned about, that if you have two copies, you're you're more at risk of getting the disease. I'm at risk of getting the disease because I have the blood, direct blood relative who had it. Doesn't mean I'm going to get it. Okay. Even if you have one copy of the gene, it doesn't mean you're going to get it. That's why this all this research is going on to find out. So there's a ton of research that mm-hmm. came out and so many things that are that are happening. Um, especially one of the things that's really, really, really interesting and just came out at this AAIC conference is the connect real connection between lowering your blood pressure and potentially reducing your risk of cognitive decline. Mm. So this goes back to what can you do now? Mm-hmm. And they followed um, God thousands of people as part of this trial, this Sprint Mind trial, and they followed all these people for years, nine thousand people for years. And in the beginning, it was talking about blood pressure and the new the new blood pressure uh, numbers. And then they kept following these folks and watched to see their cognitive decline. And it was actually their cognitive de- their risk of cognitive decline reduced by about twenty percent if they kept these blood pressure numbers straight. Mm. So that's part of what we're, we, that's first conclusive evidence that there is something that maybe we can actually do. But the things that we push now are, you know, exercise, healthy eating, um, keeping all those things in check, you know, um, increasing your cognitive challenging, challenge, 
challenge yourself cognitively, do the brain games, mm-hmm. and stay socially active because social inactivity, the isolation, I believe, can. Yeah, definitely. Lead to or bring on. Yeah. Uh, Going back to sort of social media and the fact that we all live with our faces and our devices now, is there any research that we'll be looking at? Is that going to be enough sort of brain game stimulation, that type of thing? Like it'll be interesting to see if millennials, because they've grown up, you know, not having anything but their face and a device. Is that enough of doing, you know, the crossword puzzles or the, you know, in the newspaper, my dad is every morning, my dad does the crossword puzzle in the newspaper. Yeah. Good. Um, But is, but is the the social media and and sort of that electronic stimulation, is that going to help or hurt in terms of, you know, where's this disease goes? I am not sure if there are studies starting to look at these 20 year olds, but it would be really interesting. But there's, there are these great studies called the finger and the pointer studies. And the finger studies are kind of going all across the, the globe, but the pointer studies are just really, really happening here. And they are really looking at these people doing those four different things I talked about, the exercising, the eating, the cognitive tests that, and the social interaction. But it's not just, hey, let us know if you did 30 seconds at the gym. It's yeah. driving people to the YMCA, Okay, having them do it, you know? So yeah. it's it's really, really keeping close tabs on them, fo- focusing on this healthy, mm-hmm. healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. to see if it reduces their cognitive decline. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there are a lot of lifestyle trials that are going on right yeah. now, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. And exercise and MCI. MCI is, it's almost a pre-Alzheimer's, but it doesn't necessarily need to go into. MCI is mild cognitive impairment. And sometimes people will be diagnosed with that. So there's a lot of studies going on on what can keep people kind of in that stage longer versus going into mm-hmm. like a full-blown mm-hmm. type of dementia or more decline. And studies that involve exercise Exercise. There's actually one at UCSD going on right now, exercise and MCI. Mm. So different things, different things are happening all over the place. Yeah. Um, and then there's the basic biological. Let's look at, can we, you know, something just came out about uh, a study that it, it, it went to a certain degree and didn't finish up and didn't come to, it's called like coming to line or something to, to reach all the official numbers. But then they kept studying and it did reduce some of the amyloid plaques that are in your brain. Mm. So does that therapy work? And does it work with another pairing of a therapy? So there are a lot of things that, yeah. that people are looking at research-wise. They're looking at um, interesting thing that came out about um, fertility and how many pregnancies you've had. And does that make a difference in mm. your dementia? Interesting. All sorts of, yeah. all sorts of yeah, funky how it's things. all interconnected, really, isn't it? Goodness. Let's um, let's take a step back um, and talk about just sort of you in general. Um, have you had a mentor in your life? I'm sure in news Separate, you probably yeah. have had lots of, of mentors, but talk a little bit about having a mentor. Well, my mom was my first, yeah. right? She led me so many ways. She supported me really in everything that I did, even if it might've been not the greatest decision. (laughs) Um, But she'd support me and then pick me up when I fell and dry my tears. You know, and I'm not talking about when I'm five. I'm talking about when I'm <laughs> yeah. 35. Know, you know, I know. You know, just uh, she was amazing. Most my most amazing support. Um, yeah, pretty fantastic. Yeah. Um, I had some news mentors, people that I just really respected, who really stayed true to what they were doing, and um, you know, asked tough questions. Yeah. And. 
so watching, you know, I just think being aware in every job that you have, you could, you could pretty much pick one, I think, in every position and yeah. every job that you have. And, and it might not even be someone who's above you. It might, mm-hmm. it might not even be someone who's a of a boss or a manager level. It could be a colleague mm-hmm. who's, wow, I really like the way she really calmly responds to everything. Because as you could tell, I just talk a lot constantly. <laughs> That's why you're my, so good. My fear of dead air <laughs> right. for so many years. Yeah. Just keep talking. Feel it. Just Fill keep talking. Right. Um, but just looking at someone who, uh, some, you can always grow and add to your personality, mm-hmm. right? So um, this wonderful friend I had, Susan, at my last job, she was like super calm the way she responded to everything. I'm like, wow, she's way more relaxed than I am, yeah. but she's really smart and she can just get things done. Mm-hmm. That's a really great way of going about things. Yeah. And I would love to be like her right. in that regard. Or, um, wow, this person really manages people very well. I'm learning how she's talking to this person. She's not throwing something at them. She's validating what they're doing, maybe making a suggestion. So all these different things you can, mm-hmm. yeah, I think yeah. it's about keeping your eyes open. Right. and definitely. Talk about a time um, when you've had to make a big ask in your life. Mm. <laughs> Should have prepared for this. <laughs> Big ask. I did have to ask my mom if, um, you know, leaving leaving the East Coast to come to the West Coast um, to start a job. I, I was very close to her. Mm-hmm. We'd have Saturday morning. Um, we lived two hours away, but we'd meet in the middle. Oh. And we'd each drive an hour and go to the Dunkin' Donuts. I love and it. And have coffee and have our ketchups. Um, so leaving her, mm-hmm. right? Leaving and the family, yeah. leaving my brother and kind of asked her if, it, if she'd be okay. Yeah. With me leaving, and of course she said yes. Yes, you know because she wanted me to explore myself and see what it would be like, and yeah, and so I did ask her, yeah, for permission. Yeah, you know, great. That's asking it. for permission. I love it. I love it. You know a thing or two I about know, that. I know a thing or two about permission. So yeah. um, I should have started by saying um, the way you and I met was, I think, my, me asking you a big ask. Yeah. Um, a few years ago, um, I was producing the, I think it was the 20th anniversary of the Vagina Monologues. And we were looking for um, people that uh, would be willing to participate in that. And for anyone who's not familiar with the Vagina Monologues, it's um, these wonderful written pieces that then women around the world um, take and do uh, do a reading as part of the event. And you were very generous and um, accepted my random, like, <laughs> I don't even know you request of like, hi, I don't know you, but would you read about your vagina? <laughs> did you ask me on the air? I Probably. feel like you may have asked me on the air I did, when we were that's promoting. Right. And I was that's like, right. oh, yeah, that's right. Sure. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So yeah, that's that's true. I was, um, you were interviewing me yeah. about the upcoming event yeah. and and then I was like, well, why don't you? You know, so right there. Um, and I so read about Katrina. The first year I was, it was, a, was a special Katrina. That's right. That's right. Story. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, um, so that will always be a sort of a special <laughs> Um, yeah, our vaginas will always remember that that moment. So that was an amazing one. But then you know the one I did the following year. Oh, that's right. Let's talk about that. Um, that was the orgasm one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that with the orgasm piece, and that was wow, holy cow, mm-hmm. completely out of the box. Speaking of, yes, wow. My friends in the audience were. They said their mouths were on the floor. Yeah, I can't believe you. And you're on t- TV, and you did. <laughs> 
Yes, it's performance art. Okay. Performance art. And thank you for supporting me. Yes, for okay. exactly, exactly. I love it. That's I love amazing. it. That was that was amazing. Yes, I love it. I know. So I was remiss in not. That should have been part of the introduction yeah. when I introduced you. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a big ask, right? I mean, it's you know people think of these you know these monstrosities of of asking, and it's just a simple, you know, you and you I were know. right in each other's yeah. space, and the opportunity presented itself, and and um, what a great friendship, you know, and um, has come out of that. So don't be afraid to to um, ask well, someone to talk about their vagina. See, there you go. <laughs> Just make sure it's appropriate time. Appropriate oh, time. On television. On television, yes. On local news. I time. really highly recommend do it. You, I mean, do you feel that you, God, you succeeded so, you did an amazing job Thank with you. your raising money and it was all because you asked. Asked, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So in 2017, I uh, was running for Woman of the Year for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is why that organization is so near and dear to my heart. And uh, for 10 weeks, I raised as much money as I possibly could. And um, thanks to a lot of people supporting, and you were a big supporter of us, um, we raised $128,000 in 10 weeks. So that was a really- One person. uh, I know. Well, one person at the the helm, but a a really great team of people who support me. It is asking. People aren't going to throw money at you. No. Unless you explain, you know, explain what you're doing it for. Right. Talk about how it would help the future children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. ask. Yeah, and and in that case, I was fortunate to be the cheerleader for sweet little Hazel, yeah. um, my uh, two and a half year old friend who passed away, actually two weeks into my campaign uh, from um, AML, and she was the motivator. So every morning when I would wake up and say, "This is hard," or "I don't have time," or "How can I keep asking?" I just she didn't get to ask, right? She didn't get to oh, ask or no. she didn't have enough time or no. it was hard for her. So um, so my, my 10 weeks was nothing compared to her journey. And so it was a, a privilege to be able to work on her behalf. So I'm very proud to say that we now have two research projects in her honor for, through LLS and the amazing work that they're doing. So, Good um, job. so Good thank job. you. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Oh my so, gosh, yes. yeah. But it's all the theme, the theme of the ask. The theme of the ask. That's right. That's why it's so important. I, I, that's why the, the podcast is called The Big Ask because I believe in it and um, so strongly in how it can really change the trajectory of your career, your life, your friendships, your relationships, whatever it might be. You know, it, there's no harm in asking. Don't and, be afraid. Yeah. And, and also being receptive to when people ask you, you need to be able to step up and say, right. sure, let me help you with right. that. How can I, how can I help you? So asking isn't always just about getting, it's off, it's obviously about getting. being, you know, able to give as well. So, um, great. So, um, what are you working on right now that excites you? Right now? Yeah. Um, I really... My goal is to get thousands and thousands of people to walk with us in the fall. And remind and us of the dates again. September 22nd mm-hmm. in Escondido at Kit Carson Park. September 23rd in San Diego, Crown Point, Mission Bay. Okay. And my goal is to let people know that that, you know, just like coming here, it's a safe place. Yeah. And it's a beautiful place. And I want people to join teams and I want people to get involved. And sometimes people are afraid. Oh, I don't want to call or I don't want to get involved. Yeah. So just join and just come. And you mm-hmm. don't have, there's no pressure. There's no, you have to raise X number of dollars or you have to 
respond and go to 12 things a month. There's none of that. It's come see what we have available Mm -hmm. as resources. And when you're ready for those Mm -hmm. resources, we're here. Yeah. And you can, you can take part. So I would just love for people. It's alz.org slash walk. We'd love for you to get involved in the walk. Um, it's a really, it's a really beautiful event and it helps us go forward with our mission. Sure. And I think most importantly, it just shows community Mm -hmm. that you're not, your situation is not isolated and you really do have a lot of people who either have gone through it, are going through it, or, you know, unfortunately one day will have to go through it. Um, at LLS, we do the, um, light the night, which is very similar sort of in, in what you guys do with, with your flowers, right? We do, we light the lanterns the same sort of way with the different colors. And I had the pleasure of, and the privilege of hosting that event last year as woman of the year. And it, it just, it's, it's profound when you see how many people have been impacted by the disease. So I can only imagine when you do your, um, your colored flower mm. ceremony to just look around and say, again, I'm not, this is not unique to me. No, it's a sea, it's yeah. a sea of flowers. Yeah. And you're looking how beautiful. Around. Every, every single person there who's there is there because they have the connection. Yeah. You're like, wow, I don't have to do this alone. And wow, they made it through. And wow, they're called, I'm on the yellow, but they're on the purple. They lost someone and yeah. they're still smiling with their friends and they're here and mm-hmm. wow I I can do this yeah, you know definitely. and that's that's yeah. a really great thing to yeah. see so most importantly just please re- make sure you reach out to different organizations whatever in diagnosis your you or your family is going through because there really are amazing organizations yeah. who are are here to help you and to support you so um, I know you play in a band I do so that's kind of a newer chapter of your yeah. life I believe yeah. um, if I'm not mistaken, your brother has been in a band or you and your brother yes. do something together, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I, I'm sure that was quite an outlet for you um, as you were going through with your mom and then oh, just sort of yeah. your own grief afterwards. Gosh, when so. I went back to take care of my mom is when my brother took me to the show and I saw this girl, she's actually has played around here in San Diego quite a bit. It's Mona Tavacoli. She plays with Jason Mraz all the time. Okay. She plays in a band called Raining Jane. And she was sitting on this box and she was playing it. And then she had all these... D- d- accoutrements next to her. She had this <laughs> jingly thing and this other thing and these bongos. And I just sat there the whole time with my mouth hanging open. What is she? The, the sound's coming out of this box. It's a cajon. It's a drum box. Okay. And um, it's because of that that my brother bought me a box and I started playing with him. So it's just kind of a plays with acoustic guitar. And yeah. I used to play drums in high school. So I Good. kept it up. Okay. And he, play, he and I played a lot. And yeah, it was really interesting that you bring that up because a, a week after mom, like four or five mom, days after mom died, he had an opportunity to to play at this show and he said in a, at a bar a restaurant and he said do you want to come play and he and I played our hearts out yeah and it was just an emotional release mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just hitting it really hard and just paying attention and also getting into another world yeah. right? didn't have to think about that but mm-hmm. just focusing on the music and oh my god it was so therapeutic yeah. for us it was yeah. beautiful but recently I played at the Casbah I saw very that exciting. that's big time in San Diego <gasps> yes thanks to my friend Catherine Beeks who really got me into the music scene here so my band is called Calamity okay and we play around and Good. it's super fun awesome it's, it's all girl power yeah I love that band. I yeah. love that <laughs> and, you're, and you're never too old to you know pick up something oh, new and you know, not that you're old at any stretch, but you know, it's it's a great reminder that at any point you can find the uh, creative. That's why I love um, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, and she mm. talks a lot about finding your 
finding that creative and where your magic is. Nice. And for you, you know, that would be for your, in your drumming, right? That's kind so. of your magic moments. Yeah. Um, and you're never too, too late in life to pick up those magic moments, no way. you know? So great. Well, we always end our podcast with some rapid response questions. Ooh, so these excited. are, these are just, um, off the top of your head. Okay. Super fun. Sure. Don't, don't, don't panic. Okay. These are all going to be just getting to know Kristen a little better. So, um, if you had to uh, write the title of your lifetime movie, what would it be? Mm. I found myself when my mother lost herself. Yeah, good. If you could change places with any celebrity right this minute, who would it be? Mm. It would be really interesting to be in the White House right now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> to see what's going on. Yeah, to be a to, fly on the wall. The real story. To be yeah. uh, Sarah Sanders Saunders. Yeah, that'd yeah. be really interesting. Yeah. Wouldn't it, yeah. though? When do you feel happiest? I think playing music. Yeah. And when I'm with my family, my brother, my father. If you were running for politics, what would be your biggest campaign promise? And Alzheimer's. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No it. doubt. Ultimate dinner party. Which four guests do you invite? be real fictional yeah gosh living dead the obamas <laughs> or one it. okay or one of them um diane sawyer brilliant yeah. uh great journalist um cutting glass ceiling breaker mm-hmm. um she's amazing um real or yeah mm. i mean if you want to have tom and jerry there that's fine with me <laughs> I mean, Nancy Drew would be awesome. Okay. She was a great investigative reporter. Yeah. In her young day. Yeah. Well, we were all young. We yeah. watched the Nancy Drew. <laughs> uh, last person. Um, maybe. What music am I really, really digging right now? Like a Lenny Kravitz or a Bono. Okay. Just kind of talking. Or no, Paul McCartney. There you go. Let's talk about the Beatles. Yeah. Let's talk about going through. Yeah. Okay. That'd be great. Good. That's going to be a fun party. <laughs> so right this minute, you have to get another tattoo. Because yes. I know you have one already. Uh, or several, perhaps. Mm-hmm. What do you get and why? I already know. Okay. It's in, it's, it's in the planning stages. It's in the planning. Um, it's a plumeria. Okay. And the letter, uh, the word SHH, reminding me to stop and smell the flowers. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Good. So that was an easy answer because I already have it. Okay. In the plan. That's good. That's good. Okay. Uh, biggest pet peeve in business? Mm. People not validating or respecting your opinion. What is your wish for the next generation? Mm, that they take their heads out of their phones. Yeah. Look around. Be, be more present yeah. in life, not on the phone. Yeah. Good. Yeah. When does your light shine the brightest? I think when, in part, when I'm helping caregivers, I really feel empowered and knowledgeable and helping others when I'm sharing stories yeah. about how you can do this a little easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. What is your big ask, either personal or professional, right this minute, and how can we help you? I would love for more people to come to our walk. I would love for more people to reach out to the Alzheimer's Association. I think that going through this alone is making it way more painful than it needs to be. Not, it's hard to say. Not that that's, it's always going to be painful. Yeah. There's always going to be a great deal of pain in this, but if we could do something to alleviate a little tiny bit of that, mm-hmm. 
That would be awesome. That's what I would want to do because it was, God, it was hard. It was the hardest yeah. thing I ever did. Yeah. I'm not a parent, but I definitely think being a caregiver to someone who, you, who you're losing to dementia is the hardest job ever. Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. because I mean, they're going backwards. You would think, uh, you know, a child is only going to move forward, yeah. right? There's going to be more language. There's going to be more conversation, more learning, right? more learning. And in this case, it's the subtraction of that. And you have to mourn each loss. Yeah. You know, you mourn the loss of, of function. You mourn the loss of talking. You mourn mm-hmm. the loss of st- being able to stand on their own. You mourn the loss of them being able to dress themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's, you mourn the, the loss of them not knowing you. Yeah. And that's, that's a lot of loss. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how um, should people get in touch with you? How would you like people to connect with you? Oh, yes. Goodness. Yes. I'd say on all my social media platforms, but no, let's <laughs> not do let's that. Not li- let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. You can email me. Um, my email here at the association is K M is in Michelle Casado, C-U-S-A-T-O at ALZ.org. Or yes, you can hit me up on, I'm on the LinkedIn, the Facebook, <laughs> the Twitter, the Instagram. <laughs> Just join the Instagram like the kids because the kids are on the Instagram. The kids are on the Instagram. Yep. I don't know how to make an Instagram story yet. Okay, that's but okay. I'm learning how to post pictures on the Instagram. Yes, <laughs> the reporter in you is going to love the Instagram story. Yeah, oh, yeah because okay. it's like instant. I mean, is it's it? right Maybe. there. Can it's... you teach me after this? Sure, of course, <laughs> of course. That's, that's what I do. I'm one of the kids. It's one of, it's one of the kids. So, well, Kristen, thank you so much for saying yes. You, I always Paul. love being in your presence, and you just really are a shining light. So, thank you so so much. Thank you. Um, and for saying yes when I asked for you to be on the podcast. So, of course. Um, very quickly, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to the Big Ass Podcast and for spending time uh, with me and Kristen today. Reviews and sharing our podcast is the best way you can help a podcast grow. If you like what you heard, please give us a quick rating or review. To stay connected with the Big Ass Podcast, find us on Facebook and Instagram at Big Ask Podcast. Until next time, I hope you find your voice and put your big ask out into the world so you can create the life you were meant to live. Have a great day, Kristen. You too, thanks. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ass Podcast. Like what you heard? Subscribe to and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big Ass Podcast. Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask.